Happy Father's Day, all you dads. This is a big day for you. Hope you're getting spoiled real good. I'm not going to have a sermon for you. Most of the time on Father's Day, after we've honored mothers, we lecture fathers on how to be better. That's what we do. But I've decided to do the Passover, and I'm just going to pass over you fathers and just say, have a great Father's Day. Maybe they'll take you out. Maybe they'll give you a shirt. I got a yellow shirt and a pink shirt. Exactly what I wanted. Why am I not wearing it? I don't know. I'm just, I will next week. But uh, I appreciated that, and uh, it's, a, it's a great day for us. Uh, VBS was great this past week. Uh, I just want to show of hands how many either came, brought your kids, did something, donated candy or foods or uh, cookies or whatever. Raise your hand. Look at that. Looks like a wave of people. And that's a beautiful thing, and that's what we do it for. So anyway, grateful that you're, you're here for that. Our young people, a bunch of them at Harding right now, they're doing the camp this week, and they love this. Michael loves it because... I hope this doesn't taint anybody's view of anything, but he gets to stay in the adult housing and let the kids just do whatever they want. It's a vacation for him. He's going to come back and just go, oh, all week long it was so tough doing all that schedule. He's not doing anything at all besides taking a few days off. So don't, let it, don't, don't buy that stuff. So anyway, but it's a great thing. We're going to church camp uh, today, right after church. We're headed out there, and I just love being out in the woods and it's supposed to rain all stinking week. But anyway, maybe with your prayers it won't. So I'm soliciting that. Matthew chapter 20, if you'll be there in just a moment. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes. Uh, let's say Paul Wallace, or maybe even better, Michael Deese, if you ever had a conversation with him. Youth minister is really hyper and all that stuff. And you're talking about something, and it's a, it's a complicated topic, and people aren't quite getting what you're saying. And so you then launch into a story that's familiar that you go, oh, I see what you're saying, and it makes sense. Parable is that way. Parable is bring alongside. So I'm trying to understand something that's a little bit hazy to me, and you, you, you bring alongside it a story that makes total sense. And by comparing them, it's like, ah, there's meaning. But imagine you're talking to like Michael Deese or maybe Paul Wallace, and you're talking about something, and they say, well, I got a story for you. And they tell you a story, and it has nothing to do with what you were talking about. No connection whatsoever. And you're sitting there going, what's that got to do with anything? And he looks at you and says, nothing. I just really like the story. You ever had anybody like this? You know people? Sermons, when I talk about these young people writing sermons and stuff, they had this story they've fallen in love with that they heard from Reader's Digest, and they want to start the sermon off with a story, and I'll listen to it, and I'll go, what did that have to do with anything? And they say, nothing. Well, if it doesn't have anything to do with it, don't tell it. It needs to serve the message or not be told. This is a story Jesus tells that I'm a little perplexed about. I'm not quite sure what he's trying to say. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then you hear the story and you go, like what? What are you wanting me to know from this? 
It's a little perplexing, and, and you try to put it in context. If you look at chapter 19, the very last verse of the chapter, it says this, Many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then at the end of our story, chapter 20, verse 16, so the last will be first and the first last. So it's, it's a story in between two bookends, right? It's, it's kind of like, this is what I'm trying to tell you, but you're still a little bit, a little bit f- I mean, we've told this, I, I've never preached this sermon before, I've never preached on this parable because I used to think it was too simple. It just means that if you come to Christ in the 11th hour of your life and you die two weeks later, it counts. That's what I've always heard it talked about, right? It's got to be something more than that. There's got to be something more. And so I studied all week and I still struggled with now I didn't want to preach it because it was too complicated. From too simple to too complicated. And I'll tell you why I thought so. As you go through this, you get sidetracked. If you listen to it at all, if you read it now, what you, you start filling in the gaps and you start getting mad. Here's one of the sidetracks that I was on all week long till Wednesday. I'm like, what has that got to do with it? And finally I realized it has nothing to do with it. Why were these workers not there in the morning? Did you ever ask yourself that? He gets them at 6 in the morning and they work all day, but there's some that are there at 9 and then some there at noon and some there at 3. And then he goes at 5 o'clock, one hour before quitting time, and... Where were those guys that morning? And it makes me mad because I know where they were. They were sleeping in. But the story doesn't say that. They're lazy bombs. The story doesn't say that. We aren't allowed to fill in that gap. Jesus says that has nothing to do with the story, so quit getting sidetracked. Don't let yourself get sidetracked by that. Here's another one. Why, why, would, you, why would you even hire somebody one hour before quitting time? Who in the world would do that? I don't know. It's just, don't ask yourself that. And then there's a couple other details that are weird. Like when you go to pay somebody, at church, there's all sorts of people that need to be reimbursed for stuff. And LeVon puts their name on an envelope, sticks it out there, right? Now, I want you to imagine all these workers worked all day, and it's time uh, to get pay. And so they make a big ceremony of it. The person who's just hired an hour ago stands over here. And the person over here that's worked all day, sweating, he is worn out, drug tired, right? He's over here. And he makes a big ceremony out of this. I'm going to give you your pay. Here's your dollar. All the way down the line to this guy. You've been here all day. Here's your dollar. Why would you ever pay somebody? Like, put it in an envelope and let them discover it on the way home. Oh, but that's part of the parable. What in the world is this about? It's about the question of Peter in chapter 19. Notice... Peter is trying to figure out the pay scale of the Christian life, and many people do this too. I want to know, am I getting paid for this? And if you've ever been on a job where you, weren't, you didn't have the exact amount of what you're going to get paid for, you're thinking the whole time, am I getting paid for this? How much am I getting paid for this? Peter is sitting there watching it. First of all, he sees a kid brought into the... And, it, and Jesus says, if you want to come into the kingdom, you've got to be like this child. And so a child gets in the kingdom. Right after that, as he's still thinking about this child coming into the kingdom, a child who hasn't done nothing, a child who's done nothing to deserve it, has no value, no significance, but he gets in the kingdom, and then up comes this guy who's a rich young man, chapter 19. He's been a good Jew all his life. He's kept all the commandments. He's a good, faithful God. But for some reason, he goes up, he says, Jesus, I feel like there's something lacking. And Jesus says, there is. You can't get in the kingdom unless you sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And he walked away sad because he couldn't leave the money. Do you get this? 
children are in, good, ethical, rich people are out. Peter is all confused about this pay scale. He doesn't understand it. It is so complicated. In the American way of thinking, the more you work, the more you pay. You look at the teacher chart, the teachers, public teachers, you know, public school districts have to, have to advertise this, publish this. And it's so many years education, so many years experience, go across the chart, everybody knows how much you're going to get paid, and it's fair, it's equitable, it's right, right? That's the way it is with teachers, and that's the way it's supposed to be in our world, and that's why people are all mad. This woman acts in this movie who's important. This guy acts in this movie. It should be the same. It's not, and there's a discrepancy, and people are all up in arms. Even right now, as the World Cup soccer goes on right now, there's an undercurrent of problematic with the, the American team. Why? Does anybody know why? The women, America's team, why is it? Women aren't paid the same as the men. And there's just a big controversy, and they're going around, they're trying to, and, and it is. It's not about money. It's about equity. It's about viewing people and the value the same. We in America are very into the pay scale. We want to know, I can earn more, and when I earn more, and I work more, I get paid more. But in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is different. When you enter the kingdom, the pay scale is different. The way the things are operated turned on its head the last first and the first last. And, and, and when you come in and you try to think like God, it's very difficult. God thinks different than we do. That's what this parable is. It's a shocking parable. Because to the American and the human mind, this isn't just fairness. There's another element to this. So what's the parable saying? What is this parable about? What are we to get out of it? The first thing I want you to know is it says something about God. God is never, ever, ever, ever unjust. He never does not do the right thing. When he says something, he delivers on it. When he gives his word, he backs it up. And when he says he's going to do something, he does it. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. Our God is absolutely, totally just. And in this story, when the people rise up with a complaint, Jesus, or God says, the master of the vineyard says, have I done anybody wrong? And the answer is no. He's done everything he said he would do. God's never unjust. But let me tell you the other side. God is often generously, graciously gracious. He often shocks you by how incredibly kind he is. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you a whole lot better. Now, while those of us who receive it, when you're the beneficiary, you like it, but guess where we sometimes resent it? We resent it when he shows that grace to somebody we don't think deserves it. That's when we get mad, and his grace drives us nuts. Because I got this doctrinally right. I've studied Scripture cover to cover, and I've got this doctrinally right. He doesn't, and yet God's being gracious to him. How dare him? Ooh, be careful. You can be resentful of the grace of God. But that's God in the story. You're in this story too. And you're the one who needs the message more than anybody. I'll place you in the story where you belong and you can decide who you are. The first group of people who receive a message are those who've been working all their lives. 
They came into the kingdom very early, and they've worked through the heat of the day. They've worked for a long time, and they've piled up quite a work history. They've got several years under their belt. How many of you are the early workers? Raise your hand. Just go ahead and say, you can know it. You've been in church nearly all your life. You've been working. Raise your hand real high. I want to see it. You got, there's a lot of you here, and I'm glad, and the message is for you. And there's three messages for you. First of all, it's an affirmation. God came to you with an offer. And i got to tell you, the offer was terrible from his point of view. You know what he said to you when he came to you in the marketplace while you were just kind of living your life? He came to you and said, let me make you a covenant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign this, this occupational paper for you. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you atonement. I'm going to give you purpose and inside information. I'm going to give you constant flow of grace. All I ask of you is to obey me the best you can. I know it's going to be flawed. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. But as long as you're in this and you're serving me the best you can, I'm going to keep all my end of the bargain. And, and you signed the dotted line, and so did God. I want you to know that even though you've worked hard, when you get into the kingdom of God in finality, it's still only by the grace of God that you get in. Do you understand this? You can work a long time, and you can do a lot of good things, and you can influence a lot of people, and get to thinking, you can get to thinking that I've really paid my way. No, you've not. It's still only by grace that he made you the offer in the first place. On the other hand, here's the confusing part of the parable. You ready? The first hour workers did deserve their pay. How does that fit in our interpretation of the parable? Here's how it fits. Those of you who signed the dotted line and have served God with your life, God does owe you salvation only because he promised it to you. You are paying it off. You are working for it. It's an agreement you made, but it was an agreement God made that demands a lot more of him than it does of you. It's still totally by grace, and yet you deserve it. And God's affirming it in this story. You deserve that at the end because God has lowered himself and made this agreement with you. And by the way, it's okay to work for rewards. I, heard a lot, I read a lot of commentaries that said, you shouldn't work for the reward. Baloney! I'm going to work for the reward. I want that thing at the end. I'm not going to do all this stuff just from the goodness of my heart. Sorry. No, that's what God says too. Peter himself says later on, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus is revealed. You know what he just said? Live seriously, but set your hope on that grace you're going to get at the end. I want your eyes on the prize. I want you to remember it because you're going to get frustrated and you're going to have to do some really hard work in the heat of the day. And in those moments, I want you to remember the reward. So listen, it's okay. It's okay to expect eternal life from God. Because of the promise he made, it's okay to look forward to it. It's not arrogant, it's not presumptuous to have joy and confidence in your salvation. It is not presuming too much. It's because God has decided to make this promise and you decided to keep your end of the bargain much less than what he uh, keeps. You're really keeping his promise. It's okay. It's okay to want that. It's okay to believe you're saved. It's okay to trust God's promise so much you're looking forward to it. But this is also a warning. The reason the controversy was stirred up had nothing to do with God at all. These guys got what they agreed to. 
The only controversy that arose came when we started comparing ourselves to other workers. That's when it gets problematic. These guys down here, when they received that dollar for that pay, received exactly what they agreed to, and that's what they expected. That's what they thought about all day long. The only time they got mad was when they looked over there and saw another guy getting paid the same amount for less work. That's when it got frustrating. And when we start getting resentful of this, is when we look around the church and say, you know what, I just worked 453 hours on VBS, and there are people in this church who sneak in, worship their little hour on Sunday morning, and they leave never to come back and never to do anything for the Lord, and they come back the next Sunday, and I've just worked 453 hours on VBS, and we get the the same pay. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes it gets frustrating when you start creating this ledger where you look at what other people do and what I do and we're all getting paid the same thing. Is it worth it? I'll keep it there for a minute. I'll answer that in just a bit, but an example of this, and by the way, the New Testament is about it, but there's a lot of this in the New Testament, not comparing yourself to other people. For one thing, if you want to do some comparison, don't compare yourself to the person who comes one hour. Compare yourself to the missionary out there. Don't forget that side of the legion. There are people who give up their lives here, go and spend years in another country sacrificing a lot of things. You want to do some comparison, compare yourself to them and then be quiet. But I want to show you this one example. There's plenty of scriptures you could go to. We're not going to go to them. But there's this one, John chapter 21, where, Je where Jesus reinstitutes Peter after he denied him three times. And he asked him three times, do you really love me? You remember this story? And, and, and then he says, um, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And at the end of that, he says, when you get old, someone else is going to lead you around. In other words, you're going to be, you're going to be in prison by the time you're done. And the first thing, this is so like us. This is so like us and comparing each other all the time. And social media only makes it worse. He looks at, do you remember what Peter did here when he said this? He looks at John and says, what about him? That's the first thing we do, isn't it? Let's compare, what about John? And do you know the answer that, P, that Jesus gives Peter? It's a northeast Arkansas slang. You ready? It ain't none of your business. If I want him to live until I come back, what's that to you? Don't worry about him. You do what you're called to do. We've got to live in community, but we must not fall prey to the danger of community, of comparing each other and then putting each other on a hierarchy or a pay scale. Do not do that. And if you have a tendency to, bite your tongue and repent in your heart. It's a dangerous thing. There are people who just do the minimum, and they will get paid the same. And that's okay. I'll tell you why here in just a minute, but there's one other part to this warning. I am grateful of this, this, this feature, and here's why. There are people even right now worshiping in Jonesboro in ways that I think are inappropriate. They add things to the worship. They add things to their doctrine. They live a different kind of life, and they allow themselves different things that, that I don't think Scripture allows you to. 
And because of that, I can't go there and I can't endorse it. I cannot go along with it. It's against my conscience and everything I believe. I'm going to tell you this. I pray God's grace covers that. Is that okay to say? I don't want to be that old-fashioned Church of Christ guy who says, points out all the differences and says, they're going to hell! I, don't, I hope not. I can't endorse it. I can't go along with it. I don't believe it. I could, never in, I, I could just never in good conscience at all just to give them the impression that's okay. But I'm going to tell you this. I do hope the grace of God reaches down and covers that and makes that a something that God says, I'll just overlook. I hope he does. Is it okay to say that? Does it offend anybody? I know, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, you're just saying anybody can believe what they want to. No, still listen. You need to get it as right as you can doctrinally. You need to get it as right as you can. And you need to get it as right as you can worship-wise. And you need to get it as right as you can in our ethics. But I hope the grace of God still covers that. And you're going to say, people are going to misunderstand that. Listen, I, I used to struggle with that and used to feel guilty about that. But every time Paul preached about grace, they misunderstood it too. When we preach the gospel right, it's going to be misunderstood. We still got to preach it right. And this third thing is, I think this story is an encouragement. I think it's sort of like the older son in the prodigal son story. When he said, I've been laboring all my life, you never gave me a party. And the father says, listen, the whole thing is a party. I wish you would look at living here at home with me, serving with me as a joy and not as a burden that you're adding it up. Look at all the work I'm doing and the brother is running around. I wish you would enjoy the journey and not just keep track of who does what. When you work for the Father, you're working for a higher purpose and it drives you with a greater motivation. I was telling this to the Radius kids who were, I went out there on Monday and there were some of them, they wouldn't give the kids power tools. Imagine that. It just seemed to me when I went to this house and they were scraping the side of the old paint, I'm thinking, give them one of those sanders, just like that, you know, like the Whitakers use. And then I looked around at who was working and I said, no, don't, don't do that. Lawsuits galore, injuries. So they were out there, the old-fashioned one, just scraping that off of there. And I got to thinking, and I told them this the Wednesday night after that. I said, I know what you were doing while you were scraping it. You were thinking, I would rather be playing video games. Oh, I'd rather be at home watching my favorite movies. Oh, man, I would much rather be with my friends hanging out in the cool of the day, right? Hanging out somewhere. And I said, that's okay to think that. And it is, because here's the truth. While they're thinking what they'd rather be doing, they are serving someone else. They're actually serving someone. While they're thinking selfish thoughts, they're doing selfless things. That's called self-denial. I'm not saying that I don't want to be doing something else. I'm saying that's not enough to make me do something else. I'm going to actually serve somebody else for God's sake, even while I'm saying I'd rather do something else. If you never do anything other than what you want to be doing, you're not serving the kingdom. Anybody who thinks the Rothies enjoy 498 hours of stuffing tissue into these things so that these four men can walk across the stage, you've got to be crazy. And putting the wall together, who in the world wants to do that? They did. 
And it's not something that they can say, well, I did more than you. It's something they were doing for the Lord, and that's what makes it all worth me. So I was acting in this thing, and I was way too intense. And there were people saying, lighten up, okay, trying to do the right acting that second night. I was getting all stressed out because I want to do it just right. And you're thinking, this is just a skit for kids, right? I said, just wait. Just wait till you hear Reese's speech at the end. I was here last year, every night at the speech. And she says, y'all get this right. This is the only time they'll see God at all. Don't you dare mess this up. These words are straight from the Bible. And if they don't hear it from us, they won't hear it accurately from anywhere. You hear that a few times and then tell me it ain't no big deal. I was scared out of my mind. I'm scared out of my mind. I was going to mess up the words. And, I was, and finally, I lightened up and got it a little, a little partly right. But she's right. I mean, she's sitting there thinking, we're doing this for kids, and we're getting this thing right, and we want to give them this great experience. This is not for kids. This is not for Valley View. This is not for the elders. This is not for Jonesboro. This is for God. And that's what makes everything worth it. It's what makes us, drives us. And if it's not for God, I don't want to do it. If it's no higher order, I don't want to do it. If it is for God, I'll do whatever it is. I hope those of you who've been serving all your life enjoy your service. You're not just waiting, just waiting for the reward at the end, but you're finding satisfaction in the doing of it. Because if you're not, you're missing out on part of the joy that's there in the whole time. For the person who comes late, uh, this is the person who comes the 11th hour. And it is true. If you, if you come to a knowledge of the truth and you're immersed and, 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 and you're saved there just a week before you die or an hour before you die, it counts. I, that parable can be used that way. But I, I want to apply this to anybody who came later in your life. I want to apply it to anybody who has maybe served a long time, maybe been a Christian a long time, but you've done about one hour of work all your life. And I'm not trying to offend but please admit, there is a lot of people who have been attending all their life, but they've not actually worked much at all. And that's okay. What would I say to you? What does this parable say to you? It says, welcome to the kingdom of God. You're fully vested. You don't have to work six months before you get the insurance. You don't have to work 20 years before you get the retirement. You are as fully saved as the person who's worked every day for the last 30 years in the Christian kingdom. There is no shades or grades of pay scale. We all get the same thing. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. It's gracious and it's God. And that's kingdom of God. That's amazing. If that's you, you're a later worker, one who hasn't worked very long, if you're a person... Welcome. We're glad you're here in this spot. You may be one of those people who say, you know, for the rest of my life, I'm just going to come in here and worship, and then I'm going to leave. Don't ask me to come to Bible class. Don't ask me to help with VBS. Don't ask me to help with anything. I'm just going to do the minimal. If that's you, I hope you'll stay coming. I hope you'll keep coming to Valley View. We want you here. This is a place for you. We are not going to preach sermons that make you feel guilty. And you're like, this is one. No, it's not. It's really not. I'm saying to you, if that's all you'll ever do, we want you here. We want you right here. But I want to remind you of a third thing. The reason God sought you was to work in the kingdom. 
He's not just after people to increase the population of heaven. He's looking for people who will work in the vineyard and bless other people. And the one thing I would say to you, if that's your mindset, is I'm sorry because you're missing out on some of the greatest privileges. One of the greatest graces God gives us is this, the privilege to work in his vineyard and know that the work matters. And the satisfaction that comes when you finally marched around that wall 13 times and everything that was supposed to happen happens and the wall falls and the kids go crazy and their eyes light up. We just saw the walls of Jericho fall down. If you missed that on purpose, I'm sorry. It's one of the greatest privileges of last week. I'm not intending to make anybody feel... And if you, say, if you leave here saying, he made me feel guilty... That's the parable, man. That's the parable. It's not me, right? One other group of people, the last one, that's the marketplace people trying to figure out what they're going to do with their time and their day and their lives. They're in the marketplace wondering, who am I going to serve today? What am I going to do with the day? And here comes the master saying, work for me. I'll pay you. Work for me. And there are others coming. There are other opportunities that present. Some of these masters who come to them demand very little. Some of the people that come to them are much more fun. But I'm going to tell you this. If you're still in the marketplace, there's no better master to work for than the one we serve. There's no better life to live than the one he's making available to you. So for those of us in the kingdom, let me ask, I'm I'm going to use an Old Testament image as we wrap up. It's this. There was this instruction in Exodus chapter 21 about Slaves, slaves who, because of financial concerns, had to indenture themselves to their masters. After six years, they had to be let go. But if, and this is weird, you're thinking, who would do this? If they decided they wanted to stay, the master would take them to the doorpost and drive an awl through their ear and pierce their ear, and they became a servant for life. And you're like, who would want to do this? The text tells us, number one, they love the nature of the master. They've worked for this man for so long, and they, they realize he's got a great heart. He's, at, he's got their best interest at heart. What other worker could they know? What other person, even themselves, could be as kind and gracious as this master? I don't want to serve anybody else. And those of you who've been working in the kingdom all your life, and maybe, maybe you're sitting there going, all these people who don't want to work for him, why do I keep, you know why you keep working? Because our master is the greatest. He is the one who's totally just. He sees every good thing you do and he rewards it and he keeps track of it and he bless and the things that you don't do the lazy days and the days your work isn't as good his grace just overlooks that the reason we will work a lifetime and more for the God we serve is because we know the nature of the master the second reason they stay love the fellowship of our fellow servants This guy comes into the master's house and he meets all these other servants who love the master as much as they do. And in fact, it says he falls in love with one of them and marries one of them and they have children. 
Now, at the end of that six years, that guy can walk away, but his family has to stay because they're serving their time still. And the guy says, I don't want to leave my family. Those are the people I know. Those are the people I love. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to trade those people for anything. And do you know why? Some of us will work to the day we die, and if we had 20,000 lives, we'd live the exact same way because I love the fellowship of my fellow servants. I love working with people here. There's some of the greatest people on the face of the planet right here in this building, and there'll be people, you'll hear it in cards, when you go through a difficult time, there's no better group of people to have on your side than the group of people in this room. And i got to tell you, you want to do a VBS without the royalties? I don't. In fact, they decided, they wanted me to announce that we're going to do a two-week VBS next week, next year. What do you all think? Okay, I stretched it way beyond the limits of where the text needs to go here, right? No, forget that. Okay, back it up. It's still going to be for But so, all right. Here's the third reason. They know the nature of the work, too. I believe in the work of the kingdom. I believe the most important thing in the world is getting this message out there and living it out there for people to be able to respond to. We could leave it and go live for self and promote self and end up dying and it all goes to nothing. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. I want to work for something that matters and that lasts. And there's nothing on the face of the planet that will last like kingdom of God work. Because of this, I want to be that worker. Yes, sometimes it gets the heat of the day and sometimes the hours get long. But I'm going to tell you, it's still nothing, nothing beats kingdom work. And I urge you, if you've not been involved, get involved. But if you don't, keep coming. We want you here. The response is this. If you've been a worker all your life, there's really no reason to respond. I just want to remind you, it's still by grace, and don't ever lose the joy of working for the Lord. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. Keep that in your head. If you're a person who hasn't worked much or you just got here, listen, I want to remind you of the grace of God. You're fully vested in this. But if you're in the marketplace trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life and who you're going to serve because you are going to serve somebody, everybody's going to serve a master. If you haven't decided and you're still, the jury's still out, let me tell you, there's no greater one to serve than the Lord our God. And he says to us, you want to serve me? Name the name of my son who died for you. Be immersed in the waters of baptism and rise to walk a new life and serve him the rest of your life and it's the greatest joy in life. Hardest work. The greatest joy. If you're in the marketplace and you're still trying to decide, tonight, to this morning is a great time to decide as we stand, as we sing to encourage you. Create in me a clear